Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the greatest games on the Blizzard. My name is Mark Speller, with me is Jonathan Wilson, and with us today is Lawrence McKenna, creator and host of The Kickoff, the True Geordie podcast, and The Front Three. Lawrence, a pleasure to have you on the pod. It's This is my favourite podcast, so genuinely I'm in, I'm in like a sort of a strange dream state right now, it's mm. brilliant. You say that to all the podcasts, I'm sure. I actually don't. I refuse most people's podcasts. So you're, you're lucky to have me at that. Well <laughs> Which, you know, I, I feel extremely lucky as well. Uh, today, uh, we're going to go back to the 14th of April 2016, the Europa League quarterfinal second leg at Anfield that finished Liverpool 4, Borussia Dortmund 3 on the night. And of course, Liverpool progressed 5-4 on aggregate. Lawrence, why have you chosen this game? Well, first of all, I was there. Uh, which definitely helps. Um, it was my, I'd say the first adult experience. Uh, let me finish that sentence of, uh, of my, of like the football experience of Anfield. I, I, my first ever Liverpool game was Liverpool versus Sion. And it was six, three on Halloween. And I remember that was quite a magic night. And a lot of people were kind of, you know, very hyped up for that game, but I didn't really know about Anfield or any of those things. And this was the first time I think as an adult that I'd gone, that's what it means in real life. And not only that, but I, we stole two tickets and they were in the cop. And I think that just made, made it so special for me. Klopp was obviously another massive part, but we can get on to him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was Jürgen Klopp's first season, of course. Yeah. Um, at, at Anfield, uh, at Jonathan. And it was... Um, well, they'd started the season with Brendan Rodgers in charge, uh, of course. Um, Rodgers was, was sacked at the start of October in, in 2015. Uh, and uh, Liverpool... It's it's funny to think uh, back to those times. I mean, obviously, Rodgers in 2013-14 pushed Man City all the way in the league, uh, finished second. Then the, the following season, they'd reached two domestic semi-finals. They got to the round of, of 13 in the Europa League, having been knocked out of the Champions League in the group stages, uh, and finished sixth in the league. We finally got ourselves in uh, 2015-16 season. And... Liverpool weren't brilliant um, at the start of that season. And of course, Rodgers paid the price being sacked. And then Klopp was appointed just days after that, which suggested he'd been lined up. But a bit of a, a, a transitional period, uh, Jonathan, going from Rodgers to Klopp. Rodgers, of course, had got them so close to that league title, but that memory had sort of faded by this season. Yeah, it had faded. I think in another world, another life, he wouldn't have been sacked then. I mean, the, the results weren't that bad. There's a lot of draws. But it wasn't like they were they were yeah. suffering defeat after defeat. But I I think as you say, Klopp was available, and sometimes when you have a manager that stature, available and interested, you have to strike. And I I was at his first game, which was a goalless draw away at Tottenham. And the thing I remember from that, I mean, the game itself was pretty pretty tedious. So there was sort of about twenty minutes of mad Liverpool pressing, and then they got exhausted, and <laughs> almost nothing else happened. But what I remember was when the Liverpool team bus arrived, I, I happened to be just arriving at the same time. So, I mean, I'm not somebody who would go out to see the teams arrive. But mm. I had to wait for, you know, the way it was at White Hart Lane, you went down that little, um, I can't remember what it's you go past that pub, you go, you go down mm. that, that sort of side street, and then there's a gate, and there's the car park, and then the ground. And when the buses arrived, they closed the gate, so the players can get off the bus you know, un, unhindered. And so, I, I was you know, watching them through the gate and clock gets off and suddenly there's this enormous roar um, and you see all these fans sort of clinging to the fence to get a glimpse of him. And there was a sort of sense of a superstar <laughs> arriving. 
this wasn't this yeah. You know, normally teams arrive, get off the bus and there's some polite applause and that's that's it. But this was like an absolute rock star arriving. And that was when you sort of thought, Yeah, okay. This season, which is sort of drifting, suddenly there's a purpose to it again. Yeah, what did you feel, Lawrence, as a Liverpool fan? So obviously there were some good times under Rodgers. You know, he'd made Liverpool fans believe again with that second place finish. Um, but then, as we say, you know, he gets sacked, sacked, and then and then Klopp arrives. What were your thoughts around at this time? I think a lot of people, similarly to what Jonathan was saying there, felt that it was the right time to strike and that the chance had been had. And I think an element of the, the team didn't really believe in what Rodgers was preaching anymore. Um, and, and if it was the team didn't believe, uh, the fans certainly didn't, I think, by that point. So the, the draws were kind of making Liverpool feel like the momentum had gone out of this, mm. this, this time, if you like. And I think <laughs> the idea that suddenly we became box office again because of Klopp and that we had a manager that made us Liverpool again felt right and I think the last time it felt that way was um, the Rafa Toller that they were kind of holding through the streets you know when they had him in the frame and and that's the way Liverpool wanted to be but no one ever loved Rodgers like that and I'm not saying that in a mean way but it instantly felt like there was a connection with Jürgen Klopp he came from a club which you know saying you'll never walk alone he he had all the right rhetoric and uh, you know like we know about uh, like we know about Klopp he's quite a performative man but not in the sense of a Jose Mourinho so it's a very different kind of performance with Klopp and I think Liverpool fans bought into that performance and we've kind of begun to perform in the same way as well um, and at the same time we knew our team well actually we didn't know our team was bad but when I watch this back I go god our team was bad. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time and that's what's strange it completely shifted what we thought a good team was mm-hmm. because we went from thinking you know what, Sacco and Lovren, that's a league-winning centre-back partnership, to going, you know what, I'm not sure this is a league-winning centre-back partnership. And suddenly everyone's expectations shifted in a way that I hadn't ever really witnessed before as a Liverpool fan. I'm 31 now, so, you know, that's that, 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 I think that tells you everything. I think that point about Klopp having... It's almost like he's moved from the German Liverpool to the English Liverpool. Yeah. The, 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 it seems bizarre now. And I... And I remember at the time, I guess because his final season at Dortmund had been so disappointing, there were a lot of questions as to whether mm. he he would be able to transfer that. Well, uh, one can forget about that last season at Dortmund finishing. So. Yeah, um, mm. and I, I, you know, I, I, I it's, a, it's a totally different point, but I think there is something interesting about these high tempo, hard press managers that when it goes, I think it has a tendency to go really, really badly, and that would be fascinating when it happens to Liverpool. <laughs> Um, I think it's happening right, right now, Jonathan. It's, Leeds it's United not, fans, not that, yeah, that that as well. But it's also the fact that it's not it's not necessarily the system that's going; it's hamstrings that are going now. That's the problem, I think. Probably. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, yeah, players break down under. The, I mean, the, this season there are specific physical pressures, but you know, I think that was what happened with Dortmund was that the physical, emotional, mental strain of playing football of that intensity under manager of that intensity, it does catch up with you. Um, but you know he 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 had shown at Dortmund he could take a club that didn't have the biggest budget in the league that was a a huge post industrial city and was famous for the atmosphere the ground generated and and one of the things watching this game back and perhaps it's you know because we're recording this in a time when fans aren't allowed in stadiums maybe it's particularly sort of noticeable. But the way Klopp... I don't want to say he conducts the fans. I give slightly the wrong idea. 
but he he certainly is able to manipulate and use that atmosphere to his advantage. Whereas I think other managers could easily get carried away by that or be intimidated by that. Klopp is an absolute master of using that in the best possible way for his team. I remember yeah. at the time being in being in the cop, and it was the first time I've been in the cop for a Klopp game. And in the cop, you've got a very kind of clear view of him, and he almost performs towards the cop in a way. And I remember there were times in the game where something would happen, and collectively we'd look towards him for what the reaction was possibly going to be. And uh, I, I think, especially when and this is a strange one so I'd never really been in the cop before for a game it's very difficult to get tickets for that we had two that were right next to each other and I looked at first of all we filmed the game and uh, that first of all makes you very unwelcome in real football fans so we're documenting the game I'm standing there with a camera trying to record you know in the kind of YouTube vloggy sort of hey guys welcome back kind of really annoying inane way that I did in that time of my life <laughs> and I looked to my right and this guy's got he's covered in tattoos and uh, and he just looks at me and he can see I'm looking at his tattoo and he goes, I just got out of prison today. And I was like, oh, great. And he went, I just love Jürgen Klopp. And I was like, me too. <laughs> I just felt like this guy had, had galvanized all these completely different people in a way that I had never really witnessed before. And, he, you know, this guy who seemed hard as nails next to me was looking to Jürgen Klopp for how he should react at a football game. Mm-hmm. And that felt really weird to me, but also amazing at the same time. Yeah, I remember the, um, in December, uh, the December after, uh, just after a couple of months after Klopp had taken over, they drew two all with West Brom at home. Yeah, Divock Origi scored the equaliser in the six minute of injury time. And I'm pretty sure it was that game where Klopp had the players where they all held hands and they kind of all together lift their hands up at the same time to and you get the crowd to kind of cheer. And he was quite clearly trying to foster that that spirit that he had at Dortmund. You know, German f- football fans are quite familiar with that sort of routine. Didn't quite take off that particular um, style of celebration uh, here. But you could you could really see that Klopp was was urging the, the, the Liverpool support, trying to really kind of push them. I think them. he did for us. Yeah. I, sorry right. to cut you off, but I think he did for yeah. us. I just think that was roundly mocked by everyone else in football because they were sort of like, why, why would you celebrate this? But mm-hmm. to everyone who was kind of on this experience and had really paid attention to Klopp, uh, like like Liverpool fans were, it felt right. And I remember at the time just like thinking, yeah. And every time now someone draws 2-2 with West Brom, I will tweet that photo and say, <laughs> I told you it was the right way. <laughs> and, and I mean, what, what did you think of the impact that he made, Jonathan? Because the results, you know, I mean, the, the results weren't bad, but not long after he'd, he'd got there, Liverpool found themselves in a League Cup final against Manchester City because they, they lost on, on penalties. I mean, did you think he had an immediate impact? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. you could see it even that Tottenham game, about 20 minutes or so, where they were able to sustain the press. He was sort of like, OK, this is a whole new level. Um, and it, it, did take, it did take a couple of years to get it right consistently. Um, but you could, even though the results this season were very up and down, and even though you know they were a million miles from mounting any kind of challenge for the league title, the games where they got it right, you were sort of like, okay, that that's what he's doing, and that's what you know. It, it always slightly frustrates me when a manager starts to get, gets criticised in his first six months, his first year on the job, and people go, "Oh, you've got to give him time." Well, he's also got to give you something back, yeah, and. I I can understand results being inconsistent, 
But I want to see within that inconsistency evidence of the direction of travel. And you absolutely could this season. They, they couldn't do it every week. It, you know, to, to, to learn how to press. Learning how to press is not just a physical act. It's a mental act. You have to learn the shape. You have to learn the timing, the rhythm of when to press. And that that is something that has to become automated over training session after training session after training session. And so it did take a long time. And he had to to get the right players in. And, and uh, you know, as Lauren says, you look at this squad, and it, it's it's pretty long way from being the squad of of this season or, or last season or, or even the squad that got to the, to the Champions League final. There's a lot of players missing. Um, and, there's, and there's a lot of obvious weaknesses there. So, yeah, you, you could see an immediate impact. And I, in my my sort of thought that season was, yeah, Liverpool within a year or two are going to be proper side. One of the, the things that, one of the players, of course, that was not in the Liverpool squad in this season, 2015-16, was Steven Gerrard. He, it was Liverpool's first season without Gerrard since 97-98, which is, which is quite massive in, in itself. A huge sort of gap in, in that squad that, that Gerrard left, and, and maybe not in terms of on, on the pitch, as his last sort of season or two would say. But, Lawrence, that was, that was a big thing, and perhaps it was, it was something that Brendan Rodgers had done in that previous season when, when, when Gerrard had left in the summer to go to Los Angeles Galaxy. That it was, it was, a, it was a job that Klopp didn't have to do. If you see what I mean, you know, Gerrard had gone, and then when when Rogers had gone, there was a little bit more of a clean slate there. If you see what I mean, definitely. So it, it felt, um, I think we felt cleansed of that experience by that point because obviously it ended on a bit of a low note as well as mm. Liverpool fans and uh, maybe for Gerrard as well. Um, we hope we can change that one day. But the it, it was interesting because uh, Klopp gets a lot of credit for the signing or, or reshaping this squad. And actually, looking back now, I think people are a lot more aware of figures like Michael Edwards within the team. Even Klopp has kind of openly admitted that he wouldn't have signed certain players that Michael Edwards had signed. But then you kind of wonder, well, what's James Milner doing in that team then? Is he the Steven Gerrard type? Or he, mm. did they basically want Steven, uh, Steven Gerrard in the form of James Milner and Emre Chan? In that Emre Chan was fantastic at running forward and being absolutely headless. And James Milner was everything about the leader that Liverpool needed. So there were all these kind of composite pieces that went together to make Gerard in that midfield. Um, and even now, looking back, you look at someone like a Roberto Firmino, or I think we started, we had Adam Lallana on at one point that night. And all of these different factors, all those players have basically worked out, right, we have to work, we have to be Steven Gerrard collectively now. Um, and I think Klopp has really fostered that in, in that time, uh, you know, put so many leaders into the team. And you could kind of see the beginning of people wanting to be that next big figure with a, their face on, you know, a massive uh, flag in the cop. But I, th- I think the point you made, Marcus, is absolutely right. That when you've had somebody who's been at the club that long, who's that much of a legend, there there comes a time at which they have to be got rid of. And that is yeah. a very, very hard thing to do. And I think that final season, I mean, I, th- I think there's tactical issues with Gerard that he... He may not necessarily have worked well with Klopp. I'm not sure Gerard necessarily would would be able to submit to the sort of the very strict disciplines Klopp demands. But but maybe he would. I mean, you know, it's, you uh, don't want to be pressing in your mid thirties. He did play under he did play under Rafa Benitez, so that, you know, let's not forget the you know if, <laughs> if he can play under an emotionless man. Of one point, then, you know. But he really chafed against Rafa Benitez. <laughs> yeah. You're telling me, yeah. And and in some ways, you know, Liverpool's greatest results under under Benitez. 
came from that sort of friction between the two of them. That, that yeah. somehow that there was a creative dynamism there that every now and again would 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 you know, create this beautiful flame. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I think I think Gerard physically had become a problem in that final season. And you think of the game at Old Trafford when he was sent off, and, and that was a, a player trying to make a tackle he might have been able to make two years earlier, but whose legs weren't quick enough to allow him to make the tackle. And, and for anybody to have to accept that their body is failing them and they can't do what they used to be able to do is really hard. So the fact Klopp didn't have to deal with that at all. Because mm-hmm. the problem is, if, you, if you're if you the person who shepherds Gerard or whichever legend happens to be out of the door, and then you have three or four bad results off the back of that, and everybody's going, well, maybe we should bring him back. Mm. Or people are going, well, you know, it was too early. He still had another six months to give. And you, the last thing you want is that doubt there. Whereas Klopp turns up and that that deed is already done. The sacrifice has already been made. Mm. You don't want to be the man who kind of says to Steven Gerrard, sorry, mate, but your Liverpool days are over. In the same way, you didn't want to be the man who said that to Francesco Totti at Roma. It's a similar kind of uh, scenario. And Klopp didn't have to do that. Mm. Um, all right, gentlemen, let's have a quick break. And then uh, we'll uh, talk about the match itself. See you in a moment, everybody. Welcome back to the greatest games on the Blizzard. So then, Lawrence, to the Europa League. Uh, Liverpool, they'd they'd finished top of their group in, in a group with uh, Sion, Ruben Kazan and Bordeaux. They'd beaten Augsburg at 1-0 on aggregate in the round of 32. And in the round of 16, and I'd forgotten this, actually. It was nice to rekindle some of the memories. They'd beaten Louis van Gaal's Manchester United 3-1 on aggregate to yes, set up had. a quarterfinal clash with Thomas Tuchel's Borussia Dortmund. The Manchester United game... That was they won two uh, nil at Anfield. Mm-hmm. It was the perfect game for Klopp to try and get that. Klopp knew what he was doing when he took the Liverpool job. Obviously, he's aware of the history, as everybody in football is. And you remember those great European nights. Well, the, the game against Manchester United, you think there's a chance to to get the raw uh, into Anfield again, uh, and of course that they did it, setting up a, a quarterfinal clash against um, Borussia Dortmund. And Klopp is thinking to himself, surely, right, great European football nights at Anfield. This is the kind of thing that will really foster the spirit and get us going again. Yeah, and I think um, we really needed something like that at that point to b- believe in because I don't think Liverpool had the self-belief as a, a collection of fans to, that anything was really going to happen in the league. Um, and so this this great European jaunt that we were going to go on, which felt quite sort of twee in a way because it wasn't the Champions League and it was the Europa League, was like a nice way to get started. And there were... <laughs> There were just so many exciting moments in that. And so, and because of what happened in the previous round, which I'd also been at, um, everyone had this element of, oh, hell, hold on a minute. We're, you know, there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. And so when we took uh, Dortmund back to Anfield and there was a very uh, meaningful and emotional uh, rendition of you'll never walk alone. I think a lot of people are kind of very much, we, we'd all bought in at that point. Shall I put it that way? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, the first leg ended one all in Germany, and, and Liverpool. We were bad. Perhaps had, uh, yeah, yeah, it was a bad I, I, game for us. Yeah, I remember well, that yeah. very vividly. We we had low possession. Everyone was very upset about that. Um, mm-hmm. It it. I think people felt like uh, I know. I on the night felt a bit like they rolled out the red carpet and then gone. Right, you've had the red carpet. Now it's time to you know see why you've moved on. But actually, I think it was the other way. Dortmund were almost reminded of mm-hmm. they missed him a little bit. I think. Yeah. 
And, you know, only the previous season he'd been managing at Dortmund as well. And Dortmund themselves had got Thomas Tuchel to, to take over from Jurgen Klopp, who'd managed at Mainz, of course, the same way uh, as Klopp himself did. I mean, how were Dortmund around this time, Jonathan? Because they were kind of looking to rebuild, of course, um, after Klopp had left. Yeah, they were. I mean, you look at their team, it's, it's actually it's a really interesting team. There's a load of mm. kind of of interesting players there. But I, I think I think they I think they still miss Klopp. I think they still never quite replaced him, and I I think they were still at the time pretty happy with Tuchel. I don't I don't think dissatisfaction had set in, but that relationship would go sour before he left, and I I think part of the problem for, for Tuchel was while his tactical ideas may have been not dissimilar to Klopp's, personally he's very he's very very different. He's a much colder personality. Now that's not to say that he can't be a great manager. But it does mean that he, he never was able to develop that same relationship. So, you know, they, they I'm, not, I'm not sure where they were in the league at this point, but they, they clearly, Klopp's shadow was still over them. But, you know, you look at that, that forward line, you just, just, I mean, it was a 43-1, you just look at the, wow. the, the three and the one, and it's Royce, Kagawa, Mkhitaryan, Aubameyang. That's a great front four. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, so, yeah, there was plenty of, I suppose they're all young, they're all developing at this day. Well, Aubameyang, I guess, wasn't that young, but he was still sort of on the upward curve of his development. But it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a side that looks a better balanced side than Liverpool did. Yeah, so the first leg is really? one all, of course, Lawrence. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's meta <laughs> Yeah. Agreed. Sorry. Sorry, that was yeah, we're, we're... completely unjust. <laughs> We're all agreed on that point. I mean, Liverpool themselves, their front four was was Coutinho, Firmino, Lallana and Origi. Funny to think of Firmino in that, that withdrawn role, which of course we know he can play, but having been a part of that fantastic front three that, that Klopp would go on to, to, to create and organise at Liverpool, it seems odd to have him off the front man. Um, but... You know, straight from the off in this game, Lawrence. You know, the the atmosphere was there. It was, it was it was poised to be one of those evenings. And what was the feeling like in the cop um, as 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 the whistle went? Were people expecting? Did they think you know we we can we can have this lot? Yeah, I think I think they were expectant. They thought it was a bad first leg performance, and Dortmund were the better team, so Liverpool had to play up here. Um, mm. And uh, I remember everyone was very confident. There was it was probably the best rendition of the Neville Walker and I'd heard up to that point. Um, and it, it was, yeah, it was also, there was this sense of like uh, kinship, I guess, when we were singing it, everyone was singing along. And I'll admit when I watched the video back, now that we can't go to games, I did shed a tear and think I really miss that feeling of singing with other people. And you realize, I, I guess when you don't have it, you don't really have it to miss, but I do miss that at Anfield. And I think a lot of people uh, had bought into it. There were a lot of interviews with the Urban Clock before where he did the whole, you know, the European nights are very special. And it, I guess it, from our side as fans, we felt like we were the underdog and, uh, you know, we had to play up here. And especially when you look at that starting lineup, and, you know, uh, you realise why Liverpool were the underdog, but at the same time, why there were such special points. But within the stadium, I think everyone thought, yeah, we've got this. It was only one all. I think, you know, it's, that's, that's not that bad going into the second leg. Yeah, well, especially if they were, they were underperforming as well. Yeah. I mean, it only took five minutes for for the first goal to go in, but it, 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 the game started off quite lively. Yeah, and uh, Mkhitaryan scores after a good save from Mignolet. And again, I think was it a good save? Yeah, well, Michael Owen on, on Cocom certainly thought so. Yeah, Michael um, Owen thinks a lot of things. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> one of Anfield's favourite sons. Yeah, lest we forget. Shaney left. <laughs> but it went. It was one nil, and then one nil was soon two nil. Abamyang after nine minutes. What are you thinking there, Lawrence? Well, I did send you my the, the video that I made of this, Marcus, mm. and I think you can kind of see at that point. I'm a bit like mm, this video could be over very quickly. <laughs> yeah, should we stop this whole video recording? That, <laughs> there was kind of a discussion. I was with a good a good friend of mine, Glenn, who was filming the whole thing, and we were kind of like looking at each other a bit like, oh, this is terrible. Not only are we filming in the cop where people clearly are looking at you and going, why are you filming? But you're filming a <laughs> terrible loss in Europe. And so I had this real sinking feeling that the video wasn't going to go well. But for some strange reason, Glenn, who I was with, was very buoyant. And there were a few people around us who were like, no, no, this is okay." And you can hear by the end of the first half, I think, it had gone quite quiet. Like Anfield can go, I think, on a European night. And people at that point tend to do the whole, you know, oh, it's not as special as you you think it is. But the air had been taken out of Liverpool because they were 3-1 down almost at halftime. And Mm -hmm. um, at that point... The, the expectation was still that there was a comeback on. There's only two goals at Anfield. And I think Liverpool felt like they'd attacked well enough in the first half and they were going to the cop in the second half that, you know, it, it was still doable. Yeah, I mean, as, as a neutral, I think my, you know, I, I couldn't see Liverpool winning the game at half time, not just because the three went down aggregate, not just because it's two away goals, mm. but the nature of the two goals. So, you know, the first yeah. goal, Royce to Castro, you know, beautiful lob cross. Mm. Aubameyang shot his save and then Mkhitaryan pulls in the second one Royce through to, to Aubameyang and you just sort of thought if Liverpool Liverpool leave any space between Milner and Chan in the back four Royce can just cut through that at will and they've got the pace of Aubameyang you know I can't see how Liverpool could conceivably generate the pressure they'll need to create without leaving themselves open for, for a counter-attack to a team that is clearly brilliant at counter-attacking did anyone else think when they were watching this how slow the whole Liverpool team looked? I don't I don't mean that in like insult to that team, but I mean when you watch Liverpool now compared to that Liverpool then, this felt yeah. like a different age of football to me. It felt so weird to watch it. Well, yeah, I mean that it, it compared to Liverpool now, it's it's light years away. I mean, as Jonathan was saying, but, you know, I, I think terms... part of that is the positioning though, right? Because both yeah. of those first two goals, the back four is, is... It's too deep. You sort of why why is that? Oh, sorry, not not too deep, but the gap between them and the midfield is too big. Yeah, uh, and you sort of how have you got yourself in a position where Royce can just sort of play an angled pass and suddenly you're you're naked? Like, how's that happened? And that that I think is that organisation that takes time to to to, to build. And Sacco yeah. and Lovren, obviously, I think Sacco had the, the turning circle of a dump truck, so it was it was very difficult <laughs> at that time. It was, yeah. I mean, to be honest, you know, I know Liverpool had had a few moments of of their own, but half time two nil could have been three nil. There was a couple of moments of Bamiang just failed to connect. I think Mignolet just palmed it, just passed him, and then he was very close to converting again. If he's if he was a couple of inches taller, and three nil, possibly the game would have been killed off. We'll never know. Uh, but but straight into the second half. Emery Chan puts Origi through, makes it two one on the night, and suddenly it's back on Lawrence. That's when when the 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 Anfield roar was was heard. Yeah, and I think it's also the fact that it's Dibak Origi up front for Liverpool, and you know, the, I mean, now we see him as more of a cult figure, but I think at the time Klopp had said, "Oh, we're going to have a bit of fun with Dibak Origi. He's got some pace." You know, there was a sense of what can we make of this guy. And I think he had a bit more self belief at that time. Um, 
So overall, people are like, okay, well, maybe there's something on here. And Coutinho was always good for a goal. And I do, I do remember one of the reasons I did think we would score in the second half was he kept getting into that Coutinho position just in front of the D and almost getting something off. And it felt like there was a goal in it for him. Hmm. But when, when, I mean, when the, the Origi goal goes in, Jonathan, are you thinking, oh, hang on, could we have one of those nights at Anfield? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I wasn't at this game, but I've, I've been at Anfield enough. And, you know, you, you think of the Olympiakos game, particularly in, in 2005, mm. when a game you think is done suddenly... Yeah, I mean, I remember that Olympiakos game, sort of just was putting my pushing my laptop away and thinking, there's no point writing anything because the next 20 minutes is not the sort of football where there's any rationality here. I can't trust anything. So there's no point trying to write about this till it's done. And and so yeah, when 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 Origi scores that goal, you think, well, you know, forty-two. Uh, hang on, yeah, forty-two minutes 40. to score uh, two yeah. goals. Of course, they can do that. Mm. But then nine minutes later, was it Hummels beautifully put? Oh, what a Marco pass that is! Yeah. And again, it's it's sort of it's just the the cleanness of the strike. Yes, Hummels. Ball inside the fullback, uh, inside uh, Klein. Royce runs onto it, first time finish. And it's just, it's so quick. It's a great finish and you, as well. Uh, yeah, great, great pass, great finish. And you just sort of think, well, they can kind of do that at will. So I don't, uh, even, yeah. And so again, my thought wasn't so much that Liverpool can't score twice here or three times here. It was they can't score three times without conceding yet another goal. Just because Dortmund looked so, so clinical when they got the chance to count it. But that goal, Lawrence, is like it's such a, it's such a, a killer. I mean, how many times over the years, supporters of of the England national team and, and English clubs? I mean, granted, a lot of the Liverpool players aren't weren't English that night. But when you, you often think of of trying to kind of crash bang wallop your way through a side or play a bit of heavy metal football, though that's slightly, um, uh, you know, a way, of, uh, it? yeah, a ch- cheap and sort of clops. Uh, 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 words or what, or what his philosophy is there, um, but you but you, you often think that you think right we've got to pile men forward and so on and when, and when you think all oh, right we've got a moment to do that as Jonathan says that that sort of crispness the sort of the the, the clean sort of beautiful finish the skill um, the craft behind that goal you just think ah oh, yeah I don't think we can do that I always think though do you know one thing I, uh, there are two factors that I think Klopp changed with Liverpool in that time one was that the the team began to feel quite binary so it either felt like it was going to work. Or Klopp and the team almost gave up on the game and went, yeah, this one's done. And it was strange because we almost got the feeling that Klopp hadn't given up on this game and that the team hadn't given up on this game. And then there was a sense very often with Rodgers that he was sizing up against his opponent. And it was very much about, well, you know, we, well, we are, we're the big boys now. And, you know, we're as good as these guys. Whereas I guess with Klopp, it felt like there was more, there was more of a feeling of the little, the little horse that can or whatever you want to call us. But we... So there was a different feeling around it. And I think emotionally, the players reacted differently to those goals. And it was very much like, yes, okay, you've scored. It doesn't really change what the task was in the second half. And I think I remember saying to the Glenn at the time, it was like, it doesn't really change anything for us. We still have to just keep going forward and keep trying to score. So the attitude from Anfield didn't really change at that point. I don't think it changed from the players either. Well, then, of course... Nine minutes later, Coutinho does get his goal, and it was yeah. classic Coutinho. Jonathan gets the ball, sort of cut inside, and then curls into the corner, and then it's back on. Yeah, two goals in twenty-four minutes, mm. and, and 
I, 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 I mean, clearly it does change the equation when you can see the goal. But I, I know, I know, I know what Lawrence means that two goals in twenty-four minutes without conceding is almost easier than two goals in forty-two minutes without conceding. Mm. <laughs> if, yeah, if that makes sense, that that, that yeah, suddenly you, you can conceive of actually, you know, Dortmund is starting to wobble here. It doesn't. It only takes one more goal, and they're going to be really wobbling. And then they won't commit to the, to the counterattacks quite so determinedly. And then suddenly this is in Liverpool's hands. So, so yeah. What, what, once once that that uh, second goal goes in, yeah, definitely you sort of think, well, it's quarter of a game, score two goals. That's mm. that's definitely on. Yeah, and then twelve minutes later, the corner comes in, and, and Saka reacts quickly and, and heads in. And it, and it's funny because as the corner comes in. Again, Mark Lowen on the COCOM says, well, it shows you don't have to beat the first man with a corner because right. it should never have really got past. It was kind of like head height without jumping. And it sort of evades a few people and Sacco can't believe his luck, really. Well, it was played It was played to Sturridge in the near post. I think it was mm-hmm. played for Sturridge to, to volley. Yeah. And Sturridge misses it and it bounces up for Sacco. And of course, it's quite, quite poignant for Sacco that... Um, he only would ever start one more game for Liverpool, which was the derby, and he scored in that as well. But um, this was by far his biggest goal for Liverpool, and the the reason for that, and it's really, I mean, whatever his limitations as a footballer, what happened to him is deeply unfair. That after the Manchester United game, he had a drugs test, he tested possible positive for higenamine, which is a weight loss supplement. And that was not on the WADA band list. Uh, but there was some kind of doubt as to whether maybe it should be. So he got a 30-day provisional ban from UEFA and never played for Liverpool again. Now, WADA twice said he tested positive for a banned substance. And in November 2020, they ended up paying £13 million in damages to him for having said that because it wasn't a banned substance. Um, but because of that ban, his Liverpool career ends, and he doesn't go to the Euros with France. And so, his oh, don't say his career was ended by that because obviously he's gone on and done very well with Crystal Palace. But things might have been very, very different and very much better for him had had he been allowed to keep playing for Liverpool and had he gone to the Euros with France. And maybe France would have won the Euros, and maybe Portugal wouldn't have done. And that that one sort of botched decision sort of changed quite a lot. It, I think it changed yeah. the, the emotion towards him as well at the club at the time. I think that people were quite split because it was strange. He was still doing sort of, he'd done a lot of charity work in Liverpool at that time. So there's a lot of good will towards him. There were loads of photos of him in overalls painting walls and stuff. And and I don't mean that in an ironic way. I mean, he was just always seemed to be out doing charity stuff. And I don't only think it was that. I do think there was a sense uh, something else happened with Klopp in that time, and I don't know what it was. Well, I, I think Klopp had. A, I think he'd been late a couple of times. I think Klopp had a sense yeah. that it wasn't quite as disciplined as he would like. But of course, a um, a thirty day provisional drugs ban is only going to magnify whatever friction there already was. Yeah, and then in the pre season, I think the next season he was late. Um, there was some sort of trip away, and Klopp. Has a has a dig at him on camera, and I remember at the time thing he was a bit out of character for Klopp. He was kind of publicly angry with someone and almost threw him under the bus a little bit. And we kind of knew at that point that he was gone. 
but I think Liverpool fans always hold a certain level of affection for him because, mm-hmm. you know, he, he came and he said and did all the right things. And you, like you say, he kind of left under a cloud that wasn't really his. Yeah, a great shame for him, no doubt. Lovely um, guy, though. Yeah, but got a crucial goal in this game. There's no two ways about that. Yeah. And, and and when he scored, you see Klopp celebrate where he does that kind of, you know, that, that, that sort of uh, punching celebration where he kind of almost like sort of bends down slightly and he really kind of thumps the air. And Klopp, I think the way I interpret that and, and, and uh, as the game sort of, pans out is Klopp knew he thinks if we can win this game this will be a real collector's item and again like like we were saying a bit earlier this just is such a huge step in the right direction with the kind of spirit we're trying to foster at the club. Don't forget as well I think the round after this Liverpool against Villarreal have a very similar situation where there's another great night at Anfield so it's just like it becomes this kind of like just go to Anfield and you'll witness something good and I think that was that was slightly what was harnessed there. Was it? It became less about oh, we're going to win this game or not. It became more about the oh, we're going to go and see something. It felt a bit like going to see a movie or something at that point. And you know, it was box office whether or not Liverpool won or lost. So Liverpool were going to be in the headlines. We were going to be you know visible in Europe. And I think that's partly what the Liverpool fans wanted again. They didn't want to be dismissed as oh, you're irrelevant. Klopp had made Liverpool relevant again. I think that's what felt so good about that. Yeah. And when Sacco scores, Jonathan, we're all thinking, right, well, this is just inevitable now that Dayan Lovren's going to get the winner. Well, look, if you can score <laughs> last-minute equalizers against West Brom, you can score last-minute winner against Borussia Dortmund. Absolutely. That's, absolutely right. Right. <laughs> That's just logic. Logic, yeah. It's just maths, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, Lawrence, how, how is it then when, when you, you see uh, Sturridge get the ball out wide, nearly loses it, um, yeah. gets sort of stuck between his, his feet, but then he managed to play a nice little pass to, to Milner who flights one to the back post and then Dan Lovren heads in. Mm-hmm. Pandemonium uh, by the by the, the footage of the of the, the film that you shot that evening. It wasn't a film, it was more of a YouTube video on that film, but it was very well shot. Um, <laughs> it was, um, it, you know what, I, it's a strange one because uh, Sturridge, I think by that point, had not split Liverpool fans, but there was a bit of a, there was a feeling of Steve McManaman about him. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Where yes. there's always one too many touches and Liverpool fans really dislike one too many touches, which feel more for your own adulation than for anyone else. Mm-hmm. So when that touch happens, I think you can actually see my reaction. It's a bit like, oh, no, you've done that. And we're trying to. And then he recovers it and plays actually quite a nice ball off to Milner, who just floats up. I don't know. The ball looked like a floater that you play with in the park. It went so high and it just sort of drops down onto Lovren's head. And he, his neck muscles just do the rest of the work as you will have when it when you head the ball. Um, and then he just sails away and sort of slides on his knees in front of the cop. And everyone, I think I was hugging the guy who just gotten out of prison. Um, <laughs> and, you know, at that point, it's just, as they say, it's just limbs everywhere, really. So it was incredible. But they, there was a real sense of um, that we had witnessed something special on that night. I remember walking, we just walked back with the fans from Anfield to Liverpool City Centre, and it was just amazing. Yeah. I think Jonathan, when when those nights happen, especially as it was against his old club as well, that whatever Liverpool did that season, and of course they would go on to lose the final quite convincingly, as it would as it would turn out. But that second half performance from Sevilla, well, <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's in the history books. Yeah. Um, 
you know, they, they, he got them to two finals that season. You know, lost on penalties in the League Cup finals. He lost to, to Sevilla in the final of the Europa. Choker. But it was all with, with <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and amazing that he was um, kept on. But true. With that night against Borussia Dortmund, it, it felt like, ah, there's something. There's a kind of something we can hang our hats on there. There's progress. Yeah, and it, it's, it obviously was a, um, a great emotional night. But I also think, the to me, the significance was that yeah, Klopp had arrived and he talked about, and of course, any Liverpool manager who's got half a brain for PR, i.e. all of the managers apart from Roy Hodgson, Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about the Shankly and the Paisley sides and, and how and you know Klopp was Klopp was very good talking about how the football he grew up watching was Paisley Liverpool and he talked about the physicality of those sides and the way they outlasted and overpowered opponents and given how fit that Dortmund side were and how, how fit he'd left them so then to be able to overpower them in the final 15, 20 minutes, that struck me as being huge significant. And then they absolutely physically battered BAI in the semi-final. And so I'd sort of got myself into a, a position of thinking, yeah, this is this is actually the, the, the coming wave of English football. And I, I still think this is right, that Premier League teams have got themselves to, to a, a physical pitch like we had in the late 70s, early 80s, when Premier League teams can, or English teams can overpower foreign counterparts. And I thought that was happening in the final against against Sevilla, when they won the look at half-time. And I, I was sort of expecting Liverpool to go on to win that 2 or 3-0. And then Sevilla perhaps <laughs> played off the box, I yeah. <laughs> And it became apparent there's a little way to go. Little did we know Sevilla had a cheat code for the final of the Europa. <laughs> <laughs> we should have known. It was the sixth time they'd done it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we felt like the underdogs at that point. I, I think Liverpool sort of thought, oh, we'll be the guys to end it. And then it, it, they came, we came crashing back to earth. I watched that in the Echo Arena with a load of other Liverpool fans. And it, I know, strangely, there was a sense of inevitability about it when we watched it in the final. We were like, yeah, of course we lost in the final here. Like this, it's a, it's a process. Um, and we'd had our great nights before, but it's strange because it did, like you say, it did leave a different feeling. And I guess there was a sense of belief, again, that Liverpool fans could influence the outcome or that Anfield can influence the outcome, because that was definitely the case against Villarreal and against Dortmund. Yeah. And of course, there would be no more great European nights at Anfield since no. then. You know? <laughs> no, it's been lovely to come on. Thanks a lot, Mark. <laughs> Uh, but it has been enjoyable, Lawrence, having you on talking about uh, sort of Klopp's earlier uh, times as Liverpool manager. Because again, you can you can see that uh, you can see the development sort of straight away, and, and and what he's gone on to achieve has been absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. But um, Lawrence McKenna, thank you very much for coming on Greatest Game. Thanks for having me. For more stories like that, do check out theblizzard.co.uk. Thank you very much, Jonathan, as always. And we will be back next week with another great game from the history of football. See you then.